uh, here's a little bit of a longer conversation at the Frankfurt Deutsche Goldmess. Happy to connect with Warren Gilman of Queens Road Capital. Uh, Warren, welcome back to the podcast. It's been a little while since we've had you on. Good morning, Trevor. Great to be here. Good morning. Uh, you know, for people who may be unfamiliar or maybe unattending, let's get another general recap of Queens Road Capital, what you do and why you do it, because you're kind of you're you're set up a little bit differently than some of your peers. We are. We really don't have a, a direct peer. Uh, what we do is is uh, I would say unique. Uh, so Queens Road Capital QRC is a Toronto listed company. So that might be relevant to your listeners because they can actually go out and buy the stock. Uh, we are ourselves an investor in the resources sector. Anything to do with rocks is what we do. Uh, But we do it a little differently. We generally don't buy equities in mining companies. We buy uh, convertible debentures and run a portfolio of converts. Uh, We do this for any number of very good reasons for Queens Road shareholders. Uh, Number one, we're a debt holder. So Uh, We're not subject to the ups and downs of the equity price. We get unlimited upside in the equity through our conversion, but we don't have any exposure to the downside. and That's a pretty darn good thing. We also receive a coupon from all our investee companies, coupons on our convert. We receive those on a quarterly basis, and at the end of each year, I send all the shareholders a Christmas present, uh, which is a dividend uh, to all our shareholders. We did it at the end of our very first year of of operation. Uh, We just declared and paid last week our third annual dividend, and it increases by double digits every year. Uh, So that's a core founding philosophy of Queen's Road, is that we annually return some of the capital to, uh, uh, to our shareholders. Uh, and finally, the most important thing is a focus on great ore bodies. We're a, what you might refer to as a high conviction investor. Mm-hmm. So we'll never have a whole pile of converts. We throw away portfolio theory, which suggests that you reduce risk by diversification. That gives you average returns. We just want a uh, big investment in a very high quality ore body. So we currently only have six investments, Hmm. six investments in very high quality ore bodies, and we want to write as big a check as we possibly can to maximize exposure to those high quality ore bodies. So reduce risk through exposure to great ore bodies in any metal, in any commodity, and reduce risk by structure being a debt holder, not a direct equity holder, and pay a dividend every year. Pretty safe and sound way of investing in this incredibly volatile sector while maintaining 100% of upside exposure, unlimited upside exposure when those equities do take off. Okay. You said you like to do big investments. Well, people listening are like, well, Mr. Gilman, how big are we talking? <laughs> uh, you, earlier this year, you did a $70 million deal with NextGen. Tell us about that deal. Why then? Uh, and how is this one structured? Sure. Uh, 
and, and all the numbers we'll be talking here are uh, U.S. dollars, so these are real dollars. So yes, uh, we just uh, uh, announced and closed a $70 million investment in a new convertible debenture in NextGen. That is really the result of our very first investment as Queen's Road Capital three years ago. We did two investments at that time. We did a $15 million convert, and the one and only time we've ever done this, we did a $15 million private placement of common shares into uh, NextGen at the time. Fast forward three years later, and the original $15 million convert We've parlayed that into now a 70 million convert because the stock price has gone up so much. We converted the first one, took all of those proceeds and invested it into a new 70 million convert. And our $15 million worth of equity, we still hold every single share and that's worth $100 million three years later. Uh, so yes, that next gen investment uh, has performed very well for Queens Road shareholders. Can you? How do these convertible debentures work? I mean, not you know for the shareholders, and how does that kind of transfer into dividends at the end of the year? Can you kind of just break this down and kind of explain it like you know I'm in fifth grade here? <laughs> sure, absolutely. Uh, very, very, very simple. Uh, so all our debentures are exactly the same. They are exactly the same. Uh, so I only need to explain it once, and then you'll understand our entire portfolio because the other six, the, all six investments are exactly the same. We receive interest payments every quarter, and that's called the coupon. The company sends us that money and uh, uh, re quite regularly every quarter. That coupon is usually two-thirds in cash and one-third in stock. So we uh, gradually accumulate stock during the course of our ownership of this debenture. Our debentures are generally five years in term. Uh, if they're in five years in Canada, for example, there's no withholding tax. So the money flows right in, 100% of all the money flows right into Queen's Road Capital without any withholding tax. There is no tax and we are a Caymans-based company, so once it flows into our hands, we don't pay tax. So it's a very, very tax-efficient structure. But all of our debentures are convertible into common shares of that company at any time at 130% premium uh, to the market price at the time we buy that convertible. In the most recent case, for example, in NextGen, uh, we bought it when the NextGen stock was $5.20 US and it's convertible at 130% premium to that, so approximately $6.70. Well, <clears throat> in the ensuing six weeks, the NextGen price has shot up more than 30% and that uh, convertible debenture is already in the money. It already has intrinsic value. It's traded through that 130% premium. Uh, so again, working very well. Okay. How has this move in interest rates affected a company like Queens Road Capital with your debentures? Because obviously you've had to have adjust as the market, general macro exactly. market has adjusted. It's uh, uh, ironically, uh, increasing interest rates is a great boon for Queens Road capital shareholders Yes, because obviously borrowing costs are higher. So that means I can charge 
a higher coupon than uh, I could previously. So as an example, three years ago, the first convertible we did into NextGen, we charged a coupon of 7.5%. And back then the company was worth a few hundred million dollars. Well today, it is a $5 billion company. Despite the fact that it has grown tremendously and become a much more significant company, the last dividend, the last debenture uh, that we just created pays a coupon of 9%. So the return to Queen's Road shareholders uh, has increased significantly over the course of the last three years, despite the fact that the project has been significantly de-risked and the company itself is much larger. Uh, 9% is probably at the low end of the range at which all our new converts would be uh, 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 earning uh, yeah. because it is such a big company. I expect all the new converts going forward will be double digit, 10% plus. And again, all of that money flows into the company tax-free and that allows me to pay dividends to shareholders. So you can see the dividend will be increasing every year because of these higher interest rates. What? And further, and one more point on that, Trevor. Sure, sure. Everyone expects that this increase in interest rates is going to be relatively short term and we, by the end of next year, for example, we should see rates falling. If in that scenario, I would re remind investors that the converts that we are currently writing, our interest rate is fixed, it doesn't change, and they last for five years. So we'll be getting 9% from NextGen for the next five years, even if interest rates fall by half during that period of time. So we are locking in high interest rates, high returns for our shareholders as we speak. It's very fascinating. I want to go back to, you know, you mentioned the original deal was at five or seven and a quarter percent this latest one's at nine. Not, at nine. Okay, so that's an interesting adjustment because, and I'm just curious of, with the general question of how do you, what's the baseline there with those negotiations as far as that coupon with these deals when you can, you know, if you use the 10 year baseline and we went from a quarter in the U.S. Right. to five. Right. So, like, there's obviously, it's not a one-to-one -one relationship no. there. So, no. tell me about how, what that baseline is and how those yeah. negotiations are handled. Uh, Trevor, that's a great question. Uh, the answer is not simple. It's, uh, it is not a straight baseline. Uh, during the discussion uh, with NextGen Management, as an example, I pointed out that, you know, base rates over the three-year period had increased about 400 basis points. Uh, clearly, uh, I wasn't going to be charging uh, NextGen 11.5% instead of 7.5%. There was no way I was going to get the whole 400% basis point increase because, as I said, the company uh, had grown so much and the project had de-risked so much during that period. So at the end of the day, it's a negotiation, it's a compromise. Yes, interest rates are higher, but the risk is lower. So we have to find some point in the middle. And uh, uh, it's more of an art than a science, frankly. Okay, and how has your art adjusted in the last couple of years with this move in the general interest rate market? Uh, it's a great place, great time to be investing. Well, uh, is it a harder sell now? Is it is it a harder sell to go to these companies 
with, with listen, we can do a deal. The interest rate now is not what it was three years ago. Right. Is that a challenge for those issuers uh, to again, take these deals? Again, a great question, but the increasing interest rates has been a significant factor in bringing the market certainly in the mining sector to its current situation which is very very tough uh, and so ironically as interest rates go up and the cost of our funds to these companies goes up the opportunities increase because their alternative which is usually equity that's usually the alternative that companies look to uh, has disappeared these companies can't raise that amount of equity uh, and so they come to us and we can charge more. Okay. Well, you kind of opened up a little bit of a can of worms that I wanted to hit with you anyways, Warren. I, I wanted to talk to you about the junior resource market, uh, the trials and tribulations we're facing. Yes. But maybe, you know, in your mind, you've got, you know, you've got a long track record in this business. But exactly, if you think back, how did we get here? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and have you seen anything like this before? Yeah, uh, I've seen it before plenty of times. And let's first of all uh, be specific about what we're talking about. Uh, North American exchanges, and one might extend it to London, are currently uh, in a long-standing continuing bear market for resource stocks generally and the junior and developer stocks specifically. That's not going on in Australia. Australia has been boom times. Uh, so it's somewhat market specific. And I think this is a long-term trend. I think we lost our way uh, pretty much after you know, the great boom of you know, 2007, 2008. Uh, we had the financial crisis and ever since then, resource markets in North America and in London have not recovered. They certainly did in Australia, but not in those markets. And have we seen it before? We've seen it many times. We saw it during the GFC. We saw it in 2010. We really saw it in 2015. We've had some rallies after those years, but uh, they're sort of small bumps up in a greater trend downwards. And frankly, you know, I see the global resource equity market basically migrating to Australia uh, away from North America. Uh, and this is, this is going to be for the next several, several decades. Well, is that, maybe, why, why would Australia be taking a lot of this, uh, you know, gusto, I guess if you could mm -hmm. say, is it because Surprisingly, the iron ore price has really hung in there, and they're obviously a massive producer of iron ore. Is that have to, you know, to cover uh, most of it? I, I, iron ore is a big component. Uh, coal is a big component. Uh, but what's driving uh, the the change is the pension industry. Mm. I mean, you look at Canada Pension Plan, for example. They pride themselves on the fact that they don't invest in the mining sector. They think the mining sector is a bad place for the use of Canadian people's pension money. That's the Canada Pension Plan. In a country that where mining is so important to the economy, uh, 
it is not supported by groups like CPP. Go down to Australia and you have Aussie Super. And if you look at the ownership levels of all the big mining companies in Australia, who's one of the biggest shareholders in all of them? Aussie Super. They think that not only is the mining industry very, very important for their country, they think it's a great place to invest. And the Australian pension industry really, really drives uh, the availability of capital for mining companies in Australia, which is not the case in North America. Yeah. What does it take to change that in the West, whether it be Canada, the United States? I mean, it's, you know, it, it is a paradox here. Our friend, our, the koala, calls it the eucalyptus paradox, right, where we want this big green energy revolution, but we don't want to build the things that actually provide the metals to get that there. Mm. You know, that is the paradox here. Mm -hmm. Does it take a moment in time, political leadership, to come to grips with that paradox and see the solutions in front of them with a strategic, you know, multi-decade strategy of how to get there? Not, we'd say 2030, every, you know, 30% of the cars being sold has to be EVs, mm -hmm. which doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. But anyways, you know, like, is it, is, is, is it a bear mark in political leadership that is causing well, you, this? You, uh, you've got several questions I know, wrap, I know. wrapped up. <laughs> wrapped up in it. First of all, uh, is, is there uh, uh, a light of salvation for North American exchanges? And I, and I think there will be ultimately because nothing begets money like money. And once people see how much money investors are making in Australia by investing in resources, uh, North American institutions are going to start getting jealous and will start to once again get on the bandwagon or return to the bandwagon. So there is hope yet of resuscitation of uh, North American capital markets for resources. Uh, the other question you're asking about is, uh, you know, governments uh, uh, vocalization of a need for critical materials uh, mined in a in a environmentally safe way uh, in in our own backyard so that we have security of supply I think frankly uh, they're talking through both sides of their mouth in that they it, it's great to say that but at the end of the day they're not willing to make it happen because at the end of the day, they just want to buy the cheapest source of materials possible, and they have done so for ever in the yeah. past, and I don't see actions changing that. Well, it has been interesting because there has been this kind of open dialogue between the U.S. government and their willingness to provide grants and, and public money to Canadian companies. That's on the table, uh, which is really quite fascinating, actually. I mean, how do you kind of picture this relationship between Canada's resource market and the U.S. drive for and the demand for the, for the goods that Canada produces? Yeah, I, I, I don't think... Americans at the end of the day or the American government really cares what the source of, of the material is. Mm -hmm. So again, I think these are words uh, and not really effective deeds. 
you know, uh, the American government can't get its own act together. You know, a, a case in point is uh, 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 one of the great lithium success stories listed in Australia called Ioneer. And Ioneer has this massive lithium project not very far from the Tesla Gigafactory in Nevada. Uh, they've sold 50% of it to Sabanye for a billion dollars and they still own the other 50%. Uh, and the uh, U.S. government has said, we will give you a billion dollars to build this mine. Only problem is, they can't get it permitted because the department, the, the Forest Service in the U.S. just keeps fighting the permitting. So we've got one end of the government saying, we will give you a billion dollars to build this lithium mine, and another arm of the government saying, it's our job to prevent this mine from ever getting built. Uh, how do you solve that quandary? Uh, you know, it's 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 government morass at the at, at the worst level. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, they'll buy their lithium from whoever delivers it most cheaply, and I uh, I, I struggle to see ways through permitting in in almost every and, and that's in Nevada. That's right. in Nevada. That's a mining friendly state. Forget about other states. <laughs> Warren, what's keeping you up at night? I worry about the U.S. election uh, a year from now. That keeps yeah. me up at night. Oh, you should try living there. <laughs> I mean, these are these are very very stressful times, uh, and we are about to have one of the most significant elections in recent history but they see that they see that every four years because <laughs> it's the truth <laughs> it it's is true it's, it's very true. important it's very important and i i worry about about uh where the u.s is going uh in in january of 2025 I, that's what i worry about i don't as you know as a voter myself i still don't quite I'm not convinced we know who's going to be on the ballot yet. Right. And that's, I think, kind of up in the air. Right. Um, is it a Biden-Trump? Is it a Trump-somebody else? Is it a Biden-somebody else? We have absolutely zero clue. Yeah. What I am convinced on, and maybe you can you know, piggyback on this, is that no matter who's on that ticket, a higher for longer interest rate policy is not what they want going into the election, that they will both, whoever is on that ticket, will both start politicizing more of the Federal Reserve's role in yeah. keeping the economy healthy. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right, and I think it's been borne out by history that leading up to elections, we tend to have a more benign interest rate environment. Yeah, yeah, okay. Warren, thanks so much for your time. It was a great conversation. Pleasure, Trevor. Thank you. All right, everybody. Uh, the good conversation with Queens Road Capital there. Uh, we, we're going to have more from Frankfurt. Uh, it's still like mid-morning here on this day two. So stay tuned. Be well. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decisions.